You're listening to the Formed Book Club from Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. Welcome, everyone, to the Formed Book Club. Uh, I'm going to turn this over immediately to Joseph Pierce because we have a special guest and a special book this week. Joseph? Yes, I'm very excited because we have as our special guest uh, this week's book club, the translator, a, a novel recently published uh, jointly by Ignatius Press Justin Institute. It's called Silent Angel, and the author is an Italian of Armenian descent, um, uh, Antonia Arslan, but the translator, Siobhan Nash Marshall, philosophy professor who lives in New York City, uh, is the translator of the novel, and she's our special guest. Siobhan, welcome. Thank you. This is exciting. Well, if we, if we can dive into questions, I mean, the, the novel or the novella, I should say, is the backdrop to it is the Armenian genocide. And it's entirely likely that there are people you know, viewing us here in the book club who are unclear as to what the Armenian genocide is. Uh, could you perhaps give us some historical background to that? Sure. The facts of the Armenian genocide are actually important and simple. The years are 1915 to 1923, at least those are the official years. The number of murdered are one and a half million officially, and that's three quarters of the Armenians who were living in what was called until the First World, or Second World War, actually historic Armenia. And that's actually the location. As John Paul II said uh, when he went to Armenia, Eastern Armenia, he said these words, and I'd like to read them to give the audience an understanding of what the genocide was. Endowed with great faith, he said, they chose to bear witness to the truth and accept death when necessary in order to share eternal life. Martyrdom for the love of Christ thus became a great legacy of many generations of Armenians. The most valuable treasure that one generation could bequeath to the next was fidelity to the gospel, so that with the grace of the Holy Spirit, the young would become as resolute as, as their ancestors in bearing witness to the truth. The extermination of a million and a half Armenian Christians in what is generally referred to as the first genocide of the 20th century and the subsequent annihilation of thousands under the former totalitarian regime are tragedies. That was what John Paul said. Um, the other significant thing, I think, from at least a Catholic perspective to remember is that Benedict XV, who was Pope then, wrote a letter directly to the Sultan as it was taking place and gave the first definition of genocide, I think anyone gave, because genocide is a new word. And he said to the Sultan, he begged him to stop because he said, and here are the words in Latin, and I'm sorry, is it okay if I say it in Latin or should oh, I say it? Benissimo, oh. bene. Okay. Miserima Armeniarum gens, qui prope ad imperitum ducitur. Which translated means miserima, the, the people in the worst circumstances, the poor Armenian people who are being led to their annihilation. The modality of the killing was uh, the men were killed on the spot and the women were made to march through a desert to nowhere. And uh, is that enough of what happened? Yes. Yeah, so well, let's back up a step. This is a uh, this is a novel, therefore it's fiction. But as I read it for the first time when Joseph sent it to me, I thought first it was a very gripping little novel. It's not very long, but the story is very compelling. And I thought, well, 
how accurate is this? Well, then at the end, you read this little historical epilogue that says this is based on actual facts. These things really happened. Uh, and so that's what's really shocking about this. But to go back even further step, we're used to thinking of France as the eldest daughter of the church. That is to say, it's the first country that became a Christian country when Clotilde married Clovis and brought together the two classes in the society, that is the former Romans there who were oppressed and the Christians and the Franks who had been the conquering ones. So we call France the eldest daughter of the church, but it's not the eldest daughter of the church. Armenia is the eldest daughter of the church. Hmm. Armenia as a nation, as a people, became Christian before anyone else in the whole world. And so the, the, the roots of Christianity are very, very, very deep in Armenia. And this novel really brings that out with the, with the practices of the people, with the monastery, with the beautiful, you know, illuminated manuscript that was saved. So this, this, this novel is actually a, a wonderful way to enter into a tragic era of a really Christian country that's had the faith and, can, and maintained the faith for 2,000 years. Absolutely. It's, um, if I may, it's, uh, yeah, Armenia, and, and when John Paul actually said these words, it was in 2001 on the 1700th anniversary of the conversion of the nation of Armenia. And, and I take it that, that that's exactly what the novel is doing. Yeah, they're a remarkable people. Remarkable. Well, I must confess, I read, I read the earlier novel that Antonia wrote, uh, Skylark Farm, and that was why I was so so excited when um, when the sequel uh, was was submitted. Um, but I agree with Father that you know that when I read Skylark Farm, I knew very little about uh, the Armenian genocide. Um, I knew that it happened, of course, and vaguely when it happened. But to actually be confronted and affronted by the horrors of it really brought it home. And I do think it does show how a narrative how a fictional narrative, fictional narrative, can can actually those things hold because you actually you invest yourself in the families and in the characters and you know the, the women and the children their relationship with each other. You actually, in fact, you become part of the family and then all of a sudden when things seem to be you know, very happy, this horror just descends. Um, it's a very powerful way to actually relay um the horrors of the genocide vivian would you like to say something i would uh i think this form of storytelling uh as you say joseph is a very moving way to portray a historical event but i think what i find very gripping about it being a woman is that the main characters here are women and their response in this situation of death and murder and rape and pillage going on around them and the heroism of these ordinary women to, to survive with this sense of mission, the, the, the uh, preservation of the manuscript that they find in the monastery. The name is Silent Angel, right? It's almost as if the manuscript itself is the angel because that is what's giving them a reason to keep living in spite of all of the loss that they, they've lost their children, their husbands, brutally murdered everyone. It'd be very easy at that point to just fall into a heap of despair and not be able to keep going. And I'm sure many people in situations like this, that's exactly what happens. But the preservation of this manuscript becomes this mission 
and these heroic women. I just, I was gripped by the story from the beginning to the end. I could not put it down. Identifying as a woman with these women. I couldn't agree more. And again, I'm just trying to point out just how historically correct that is. Um, right, uh, in the modality of the genocide, the men were killed on the spot. It's the women who have to do the saving as much as possible. And what was interesting about the Armenians is that at that point in their history, what's tremendous is that they had reached almost 100% literacy rate because the women knew that the men would be killed. And so they had to make sure that the culture would come go to the next generation. And this idea of the woman being the bearer of the culture, here we're seeing it incarnated in these women. These women are... Their whole reason for surviving is so that their culture will survive. And, and so they're mothers, mothers of their people, mothers of their people's future. It's really a very powerful thing. Speaking of mothers, my granddaughter is to come in and say hello. Hey, Irish. Hello, granddaughter. Hi, Irish. <laughs> so, Siobhan, your, your roots go back to Armenia. Goodbye. Yeah, Oh, I'm, I hate to tell you this. My godmother is Armenian, and that's Antonia. Antonia is my godmother. I actually translated the book for her for a Christmas present. Oh. Because her prose is so magnificent, and it takes... Translating it was like taking something gorgeous, which is written in red, and I think of the English language as more blue. I'm, I'm No, my I'm not Armenian. You're um, not? Okay. Mm-hmm. No, no. But I do speak it. Antonia born in Armenia. No, she was born in Italy. Uh, and that's the story she tells in the Skylark Farm. Uh, I, I think that it's hard for us, and you were saying why. I, I wanted to read a passage just to say how you said the women had to do this. And, and I find this one of the most beautiful passages. Do you know why? It's inspiring to me. Because we're not going through the same situation, but, you know, our culture is in danger here too. In the deeper sense, it's not that we're being slaughtered. I, I think we're being hammered. And it's so hard, you've got people. And so here's the passage, and, and, and it's not just these two women. For me, it's this, in the midst of disaster and loss, shine the saved books by mysterious and secret paths through labor and pain, like a river of gold. The manuscripts with their beautiful bindings, the shimmering illuminations with their small, colorful worlds, Palmette borders, crosses, pomegranates, navigated this final ocean of pain and survived. They were brought to safety by the rough and wounded hands of all of those suffering mothers, as mm-hmm. you said, who step after step reached the remote monasteries of the Caucasus, the crystal churches, so that that so enchanted travelers and finally the center of all Armenian spirituality. Right. You can think as you're reading this book, they're struggling for their lives. They're trying to save themselves from, you know, being put to death and there's danger on every side. Why burden yourself with a 60 pound man book? You know, they had to cut in half and anybody who's ever hiked a little bit, you know, they went for days and days and days. You don't have any food. It's not like there was a Walmart nearby or some kind of a 7-Eleven. They had to carry food with them, and they had to worry about their water. And they're carrying this 30 extra pounds, each of them, of this book. Why? It's just paper, right? It's just a bunch of ink. It's just a bunch of color. Why save that? Well, because books have a sacredness to them because of the book, the Bible. And this book represents 
the fruits of a whole culture. And so in a sense, are human beings worth more than books? Absolutely. But is it reasonable for human beings to say, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the sake of this sacred book, which is going to remind people of centuries and centuries of our Christian tradition? There's something there which is very beautiful and very sacrificial. Uh, and, and of course, it makes a wonderful story, too. Let me just say one thing there as well, because I, I agree with you, Father, completely, um, that, which I always do, as you know. Um, and uh, Since when? <laughs> but um, Vivian mentioned that perhaps the, uh, the book, this, the manuscript is, is sort of the angel. And of course, we have the word angel as in messenger. And certainly the book is a messenger. You mentioned perhaps the book being uh, culture itself, Christendom, our heritage, uh, but I also think and I, that's all true. But I also think it serves as a metaphor for the cross. Now they are suffering already, but they voluntarily take up the extra burden. They don't take the path of least resistance. They take on the extra suffering, and then in that sense, the manuscript is itself the cross. I think it's really interesting too, Joseph, to see how the different characters respond to the invitation to this burden in different ways. You have the two Greeks who, if they'd gotten caught, they'd be killed. And I'm not going to give away you know, the story too much, but they would not have been differentiated by the Turks for being Greeks or whatever, right? Um, but on one hand, they're just trying to flee. It's like kind of like not their problem. This is not their culture. These are not their people. And they just want to get the heck out of there. And yet they end up willingly taking on the burden to bringing uh, the the group to safety, and then the child, the this the once you know the whole family is slaughtered, and now this child becomes part of the group, and I think it's so beautiful the way you have these different characters playing out these different roles, and then coming together in this unified mission to save this book. It's and it's so short. All of this is packed into how many pages? You know, and in pretty large type. You know, it's it's. It's 109 pages. Yeah. That's the amazing thing about Antonia as a storyteller, right? She grips you. And, but the, do you know what it is? It's also another thing. And I've been thinking about this a lot because, of course, I'm not an Armenian. And I was wondering, what is it about Armenian spirituality, about their faith, about the fact that still today, if you ever ask an Armenian, are you a Christian? The, the Armenian is going to say, I'm Armenian, for heaven's sake, of course. But it's something about the concreteness of them. Antonia is, you know, Mandelstam, who was the poet who was killed by Stalin, said of the Armenians, they're the only great Western culture that loads metaphysics. And they do. They don't like metaphysics very much because they're very, very concrete. For Antonia, the silent angel, what is that? It's an angel. Okay. This is the book. It must be saved. No questions asked. Uh, you must take it. You, no questions asked. And here is the gift that they give us. We, at least me, and this is my problem, I guess, I do metaphysics, right? That's my field. And so I am used to dealing with abstractions a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think our culture in general tends to think of things not very concretely. It, it's, geez, yeah, yeah, but that was so long. No, the, for the Armenians, it's very much concrete. It's there with you. An angel, we, we speak of our dead seeing us and we don't see them, or the angel seeing us and we don't see them. For Armenians, this is very concrete. Yes, of course the angels are there. 
and, and uh, okay, we don't see them, but that's our fault because we're a fallen race and, and you know, one day we will, that's it. Uh, and there's something so refreshing to us about that or to me, this just simple being able to say this book, this is a physical representation of a means for our faith, it must be seen. No questions asked. Pick well, it up on your shoulder, take it. It's also, the Armenian is not a Western culture. Ar Armenia is east of the Bosporus and they're closer, to, they're closer to biblical culture, which is an Eastern culture that is Old Testament. And therefore, that's also part of the concreteness that comes from there. But in, in, in the defense of the Greeks, I will say that uh, Macarius and the Greek woman, I mean, at the end, they make a very beautiful sacrificial gesture. You're right. uh, oh, I, Father, that's what I was saying, is that I know. however I know. reluctant these people are at first to take up their crosses in different ways, they do. That, that struggle is part of the beauty of the story. These are reluctant heroes. These are not the people you would have picked out of a lineup to lead people into battle or to do great like things. Great we want to avoid the concrete <laughs> in the sense that we don't want to spoil the plot. Right. So, uh, the actual conversation, regardless, regardless it may violate Armenian sensibilities, we need to be talking up to a point in terms of, of abstractions because we want people to be able to buy this novella and thoroughly enjoy the story. Yes. So, um, yeah. Yes. By the way, back to the Boy, concrete. Back to the concrete, if I may. That's one of the things that makes this writing so vivid and powerful, is its attention to the physical reality of life. They're farmers. The cold water, the grapes being pressed, the the, the embrace of a mother, the, her skirts, her aprons, all these things are what make this story so riveting. And the farther we are from living to that closeness with the elements of life, you know, the more abstract we become, right? And the less able we are to even tell stories like this. I take Father's point very seriously, right? Of course, they are Eastern, more so they are East of the Bosporus. And we on the other side, I love the Greeks and my God, I love them. But, you know, we, we tend to, to postpone the concreteness of our life in some sense, I, I take it. And I think that this is one of the reasons why this book is, is one of those things to read, especially in moments like these. When we're all up in the air, we were all locked up because of COVID. We are now dealing with other issues. And, and, I, and I think that the way to get through this is in some sense to remember the concrete of our concreteness of our lives. At least this is what I'm trying to do because life is not there to be lived tomorrow. It's to be there to believe now, even in this conversation I take it. And, and, and that's that's one of the things that Antonia's style has always given me. And the, the wisdom of a godmother who says, get your feet back on the ground. Let's live this moment right now. It's okay. I understand. Uh, and she's a formidable scholar and a classicist. But she will nonetheless always say, get your feet back on the ground. Where is, uh, where is the, the heart of this? Concretely, give it back to me. And that's a discipline I think that that um, we've forgotten a little bit over the time, over the ages. And it, it's it's a beautiful book, beautifully written, nicely translated. Thank you very much, uh, Siobhan, for that. And uh, we hope if you have read the book, you viewers and listeners, that please do so. It's it's a wonderful book that'll inspire you and also give you some information about a very important moment in history of the church. 
Uh, and coming next week, we'll start with uh, Nikola Diaz's book, A Time to Die, which is his interview with many monks in seven monasteries in France about their views towards death and dying. Anything else we need to say about that, Joseph? There was a message on the website asking about uh, what reading people should do. For and I answered that one person saying the first three chapters we should probably make public. All right. Very good. Well, thank you again, Siobhan. Thanks all. And we'll see you all next week at the Formed Book Club. To receive email updates, study questions, and free access to our online forum, just visit formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Thanks for joining us.